The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. All right, well, hey, if you happen to have a Bible this morning, wherever you are, if you're outside, inside, or online, go ahead and open it up, turn it on, turn it to the book of Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're going to continue our series this morning in the book of Acts. Uh, When I woke up this morning... I don't know, maybe some of you guys wake up like this every morning, but I woke up this morning, I was like, man, I, I, I need some energy. It was one of those mornings. I'm like, it was hard to get out of bed, and I knew I needed energy, and so I, I, before I even left my house, I'm on the way to, here to our Granada Hills campus, and I had a thought in my mind. I, I could see it, I could see it, I could see it. I could see that green sign, you know what I'm talking about? I could see that mermaid with the crown on her head. I could see it, and that's a, I knew I was going to the green sign before I ever came to our Granada Hills campus. So I got my Starbucks. I got my coffee. I'm feeling good this morning. Have you ever thought about that green sign, by the way? It's kind of weird. Like, like when I see that sign, I don't think of coffee. Uh, I don't think of coffee when I see that sign. It's kind of weird how signs work sometimes. Uh, I think of, um, there's this one sign in in Burbank that, uh, that draws my attention every time I see it. It's my favorite sign, probably my favorite sign of any sign on the planet. I love the sign. And if you ever go to the Empire Center, you've seen the sign too. You know what I'm talking about? It only happens during certain times of the day, certain hours of the week. It only happens, but when it lights up, you know what it is. You know what I'm talking about? It's the red, hot, fresh now sign. That's my favorite sign on the whole planet. I know when the sign lights up, that, that sugary, gooey, uh, just goodness, the manna from heaven is being baked inside. It's my favorite sign on the whole planet. This morning, I want to preach from a passage that, that talks about signs sort of in a way. It's the first miracle of the early church, and miracles are really like signs. If you think of signs, you think of the Starbucks sign, you think of the Krispy Kreme sign. Signs are not the reality. They point us to a reality. If you've ever driven to a stop sign or driven through a stop sign and got a ticket for it, the stop sign is not the reality. The stop sign points us to a reality that says if you go any further without stopping, danger could be ahead. The hot now sign says, look, I'm not the reality, but inside is the reality. Miracles work the same way. That's their purpose in the Bible. Miracles are signs. They point to a reality beyond itself. And so I want us to read this morning this passage from Acts chapter 3. It's the story of the first miracle of the early church. And so I want to preach a message this morning titled, The First Miracle and the Mission. The First Miracle and the Mission. So here's what I want to do. Because it's a narrative today, I want to read through all 10 verses, and then I'm just going to make some application and some points this morning. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and this is what the scripture says. And one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. Verse 5. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, verse 6, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
walk. Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, the first time ever this man had ever been inside the temple courts, the first time he had ever walked. According to Acts chapter 4, this man had been crippled since birth. Over 40 years, he had never walked, never been inside the temple. Verse 8 says, he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them inside the temple courts. Listen to the description in verse 8. Walking and praising God. Walking and jumping and praising God. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I don't know if you ever read miracles in the New Testament and you wonder, how does this apply to me today? What, what is the point of the story of a miracle today? The reality is when the Bible mentions uh, miracles, Jesus performs miracles. We see them over and over, whether it's raising somebody from the dead, whether it's calming the seas. We're going to see miracles happen over and over in the book of Acts. When we see these miracles, the reality is the miracle is just a sign, like the hot now, like the stop, like the green mermaid. A miracle is a sign in the Bible. It points to a reality beyond itself. So the question this morning is, what reality does this miracle in Acts chapter 3 point to? I think there's at least four things, and I want to outline them for you this morning, and I want to make application for us today. There's at least four realities that this miracle points to, and here's the first. If you have something to write with, if you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to take notes. The first miracle points to this reality. Here's the first one. It's the reality that God deserves the glory for your life. God deserves the glory for your life. Look at, look at verse 8 here. It says, he jumped to his feet, he began to walk, then he went with them into the temple courts, and he was walking and jumping, and listen to what he did, and he was praising God. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God. Luke, the author here, he's, he's, he's a physician, he's a doctor, he's meticulous to tell us this story so that we can understand, listen to me, that God is the point, and God gets the glory here. In other words, it's as if he's saying, God is responsible for the miracle. Peter is not responsible. John is not responsible. God is responsible. You know, we should always read the Bible with our eyes towards God's glory, not my own glory. We do a disservice to ourselves when we try to read the Bible and insert us as the point in the Bible. We should always read the Bible with eyes that believe God is the point. In other words, it's as if the story is telling us, I want Jesus to get the glory in my life. And so Luke writes this story so that we know the miracle is not coming from Peter. This is Jesus healing you. So after this miracle, Peter goes on to preach a message to everybody who's watching what happens. And in the sermon, he sort of explains what they've just seen. And so in Acts chapter 3, verse 16, listen to what Peter says. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that is completely healed him. So Peter wants this man to know. He wants everybody who's watching this this, this miracle to know. He wants those of us who are reading this 2,000 years later to know that God should receive the glory in your life for whatever happens. 
As a pastor, sometimes you hear stories of people that go into a doctor's appointment and they come out having been told that cancer has ravaged their body. And sometimes when somebody gets that diagnosis, they call the pastor, they call the elders together, and the pastor and the elders anoint this person with oil, and they pray for this person, and they pray for the healing of this person. And sometimes when that happens, they go back into their doctor's visit, and they hear from the doctor, I cannot explain this, but your cancer is gone. And then sometimes you hear stories of people who go into a doctor's visit and they're being told, you have cancer. And then that person goes through rounds of chemotherapy. That person goes through the process to remove the cancer. A doctor goes in and does surgical procedures inside the body to remove the cancer. And then that person hears the prognosis. You are now cancer-free. You hear both sides. When I think of stories like that, I'm reminded that God is the creator of all life. Sometimes he works through miracles. Sometimes God works through the ordinary common means of life. Sometimes God heals miraculously. Sometimes he heals through surgeons. Sometimes he heals through pharmacists. Sometimes God even heals through, through farmers. That makes sense. So the Bible teaches this, this doctrine that we call the doctrine of providence. It's a big word, but in other words, God cares for his creation. God sustains his creation. So whether we eat chicken that we grew in our backyard or whether we go through the Chick-fil-A line and eat chicken, listen to me. God is the source of our life, and God gets the glory for our life. And so whether your body is healed because God did something miraculous and the elders anointed you with oil, or whether your body was healed because you took antibiotics and had surgical procedures over time, God deserves the glory for your life and for the healing in your life. May I ask you this morning, is God receiving glory in your life? Is he receiving glory for even the common things in your life? There's there's times when we go to God and we only go to God because we need the miraculous. We need the healing. We, We need the supernatural in our life, and yet we neglect the common, ordinary days of life. Do you know that today when you woke up with breath in your lungs, today was a miracle? Are you giving God the glory for the common, ordinary days of your life? Miracles remind us that God is in control, and he deserves the glory and the worship for all of your life. There's a second reality that miracles show us. There's a second reality here. Not only does God deserve the glory for your life, but here's the second reality. Write it down this morning. God is going to one day make all things right. God is going to one day make all things right. Listen to verse 7. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now listen. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts. He was walking and jumping and praising God. The scripture says he's walking and he's jumping and he's praising God. Luke, the doctor here, he's meticulous to tell us this story. This story is not an aberration. The man who could not walk for his entire life, over 40 years of his entire life, is now, if you will, dancing with the stars. If you're a Jew and you're watching this happen, 
if you're, if, you're, if you're in the presence of this miracle this morning and you are a Jew, this story really sounds familiar to you. Jews would have recognized what's happening here as the fulfillment of the book of Isaiah chapter 35. Listen to what the scripture says. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Listen to verse 6 of Isaiah 35. Then will the lame leap like a deer. So if you're standing around this scene at the temple courts at the gate called Beautiful that day and you're a Jew and you see this, you immediately, your mind immediately goes to Old Testament prophecy. And what Isaiah is saying here in the Old Testament, he's referring to a time. He's talking about a time when a king would come and the king is going to set up his kingdom and everything in his kingdom is going to work the way it's supposed to work. And so when we see Jesus in the Gospels, when we see the apostles in the New Testament performing miracles, they're they're not overturning laws of nature. Understand what's happening. What we see is what nature was like before sin corrupted humanity and creation. In other words, miracles take us back. They take us back to the way things were designed to be and should be and are supposed to be. And so Peter is preaching this message, and he's trying to explain what everybody has seen later on in Acts chapter 3. And he references this idea of the restoration of all things. Listen to Acts chapter 3, verse 21. And heaven, this is him preaching, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God. Now listen, to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And so this miracle we're seeing in Acts chapter 3 is pointing us to a future time when all of this stuff gets overturned, when disease is wiped away, when corruption of leaders doesn't exist, when natural disasters don't destroy places like we saw in Louisiana this past week, when, when the color of our skin makes no difference. If you read the miracles of the New Testament, you're going to notice something pretty peculiar about these miracles. What you will not notice about the miracles in the New Testament is that they resemble something like your favorite Marvel movie in honor of Chad Bozeman, Black Panther this week. When you read the New Testament miracles, they don't look like these these freak of nature miracles that we see in our favorite movies, right? You don't see Jesus and the apostles performing these freak of nature miracles like where they're throwing boulders against each other and you get hit by a boulder and they're never phased, right? You don't see Jesus and the apostles picking up buildings and setting them down on another piece of real estate. You never see Jesus scaling the side of a building and then jumping into another atmosphere. You never see these freak of nature type of miracles. You never see this. Every time you see a miracle in the New Testament, you see the miracle alleviating human suffering. You see the miracles alleviating pain and difficulty. And the calming of nature, people are healed of leprosy. People are raised from the dead. People are cured of blindness. Storms are stopped. And the miracles are all pointing to a time, listen to me, when these things don't exist. One day in our future, one day in our future, there won't be these sufferings. There won't be hungry or thirsty people. There won't be people that lack 
shelter in the basic necessities of life. There won't be relational chaos. There won't be terminal illness. There won't be crime and corruption and murder and package thieves and auto thefts and police pursuits. There won't be prejudice. There won't be racism. Someday, all of the things that mitigate against life being lived to the fullest now, someday those things will be gone. Pandemics won't be a thing. Fear of a virus that can kill you will not be a thing. Losing our businesses will not be a thing. Divisive side-taking and leadership preferences will not be a thing. Why? Because those things didn't exist before humanity rebelled against God. Before we decided, I want it my own way, I'm going to build my own kingdom. Our own kingdoms are the very things that propel us into suffering. They're the very things that are propelling us into suffering today in our culture. And may I say to you this morning, if you are currently suffering, God hates all of those things even more than you do. How do we know, Pastor Matt? Well, because the miracles verify it. But how do they verify it, Pastor Matt? They verify it because they're signs that point us to a future reality. They're God saying, I hate disease. I hate corruption. I hate this sin. And this man who was born crippled and can now walk is a sign of the things to come in my kingdom. It's God saying, I'm going to make it all right. Miracles are not God suspending the natural reality. They're not God suspending the natural reality. They're actually showing us how things were originally intended to be. And so when God heals this royal official son in the New Testament, it's not God showing off. It's not, it's not God looking for fame and for likes. It's God turning our present reality upside down to see, to say, see, this is how it's really supposed to be. When Peter and John give new life to a man who's been crippled for over 40 years here in Acts chapter 3. That's not the apostles showboating. That's not the apostles posting on Instagram hoping they get a certain number of likes. That's God using them to demonstrate to the world around them that one day I'm going to turn everything that's messed up and shaken up and torn up. That's God saying, I'm going to write all of these things in my kingdom. Joni Erickson Tata is a fairly well-known Christian. She was paralyzed as a teenager in a diving accident. She's been paralyzed her, most of her entire life, and she once said, at that great marriage supper of the Lamb, the first thing I think I'll do on resurrected legs is to fall on my glorified knees and praise the God of resurrection and healing, and then I'll stand and dance before him with all my might. You see, miracles give us hope. Miracles give us hope that what we are currently walking through will one day no longer exist in the kingdom of God. Now listen to me. If God works to right wrongs, what does that mean for us? It means that we work to right wrongs as well. It means we work to alleviate suffering. It means we work to repair relationships. It means that even in the city of stories in Los Angeles, we tell good and true stories that point to reality. It means we work for justice for all. It also means when we open up our Bible and we, we read the miracles 
in the Bible. We read with great hope. Our hope is for a time when human suffering ends. But you see, some of us get our hopes confused. Some of us hope for a pain-free life. Some of us hope for a struggle-free existence. But may I say to you this morning, a gospel-informed hope is that we look beyond the suffering and we look to a better day when those sufferings end. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The miracles function as this signpost. The, the, the miracle is not the reality itself. It's pointing us to another reality that says there is a time coming when things will be turned right side up. There's a third reality that we can see in this first miracle. God's not only going to change our future reality, but here's the third reality. I want to encourage you to write it down this morning. God has the power to change your life today. God has the power to change your life today. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What a beautiful scene. In a matter of moments, this guy's life is literally changed and turned upside down. He's physically handicapped, but in a matter of moments, the power of God changes his life. Do you know when, when you see physical illness, when, when you see physical handicap in our world, what you're actually seeing is a, is a picture of sin. Now, now, don't confuse what I mean by that. I don't mean that physical ailments are a result of sin or that people have physical ailments because of sin. My, what, what I mean is when you see those physical handicaps, it's a picture of sin. There are people in our world who are physically blind. There are people in our world, like my grandfather, who fell from a telephone pole as, uh, in his mid-20s and spent the next 60 years of his life in a, in a wheelchair. There are people who are physically blind. There are people who are physically handicapped. But Ephesians tells us that all of us are spiritually blind. Now get this for a moment. There's nobody who comes into the world without sin. We're all in this predicament together. And so the man in this story has been physically handicapped since birth. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our spiritual illness that we come into this world with is common to all of humanity. It's why we have bad days. It's why we have the worst days. It's, it's why we experience heartache. It's why we experience tragedy and corruption and evil. And just like the man here in this passage who could not heal his own physical condition, the Bible tells us our sin condition cannot be healed by us either. Now listen to me for just a moment. It's, it's why we fight against racism and prejudice in our culture. But now listen, but in the church, I cannot speak for people who have not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, but I can speak for the church today. It's why we fight against racism, but may I say to you, it's why in the church we understand that the only true healing, only true healing will come to people. And the only true healing will come to society, and it's never going to happen until people understand that their sin condition has to be personally dealt with at the cross. I talked to a lady this week, this last week, and, and, and she told me that she had terminal brain cancer. And, and she said to me, these were her words, it's the same cancer that killed Joe Biden's son. 
It's the same cancer that John McCain had. And this is what she said. And if it couldn't cure them, and if they couldn't be cured, I know I won't be cured either. And so I asked her, I said, well, are you, are you taking any sort of treatments? And she said, sure, I'm, I'm taking a chemotherapy pill. And they told me that if I, took the, if I didn't take the chemotherapy pill, I would live three to four months. But if I did take the chemotherapy pill, my life would be extended six to 12 months. Do you know the best that the world can offer is a temporary relief? A delay of the inevitable. And by the way, I thank God for that. My father was diagnosed with cancer. They told him he had two months to live. He took chemotherapy. He lived for eight months. I praise God for temporary relief. But all the world can offer and all the world can give is a handout and temporary relief. But if you get temporary relief and you don't have eternal relief, the reality is you really don't have anything. Psalm chapter 107 verse 9 says, For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. So just like a man who has the joy of being physically healed, there's nothing more satisfying than the God who brings true satisfaction for our longing souls. And so the miracle in Acts chapter 3 is this message that it's this message that, that, that Jesus can bring salvation to our souls. We have this real-life example showing us what we can have right now. Jesus has the power to change your life right now. The lame guy asked for money. Peter says, I don't have any money. Silver or gold, I do not have. In other words, Peter says, what you're asking is good. It's good. But what I'm going to give to you is much, much better. It's much, much deeper. And instead of money, Peter gives to this man. He gives him physical healing. Eventually, later in chapter 4, we see this man becomes a disciple of Jesus. But may I ask you this morning, may I ask you a question? What if Peter had not healed him? What if he said, I don't have money, and I can't heal you? But what I can give you is Jesus who can forgive your sins and give you eternal life. Now, I would imagine most of us who are part of the church and who have claimed to be changed by Jesus would probably say, we would never say, well, salvation is a lot less spectacular than a man being physically healed. We would probably never say that in the church. Probably outside the church, we would say, well, why didn't he heal him? He, you know, salvation is great, but healing is better. We probably never claim that in the church, but a lot of times we think that way. God, if you can just heal this situation, salvation is great, but if you can just heal this situation, God... Maybe some of us think it would be less spectacular to have salvation than it would be to have physical healing. May I ask you, is salvation of your soul greater than a temporary miracle in your life? The lame man is sitting by the temple every single day. Don't you imagine he probably sees people walking in the temple every single day, walking towards him, walking up the steps, going into the temple. By the way, because the man was lame, he had never been in the temple his entire life. He had never experienced what other people were doing to get to the temple his entire life. Don't you imagine this lame man who's sitting on the steps probably is thinking, if I could just walk I would never be unhappy again. I, I would imagine this man is probably thinking, it's probably gone through his mind at least one time. Do you think that's true? 
If he had just been able to walk, would he have never been unhappy again? Well, I would say wherever you are today, if there are people around you, just look at them. Or think of the people that you know. Most of us walk, but many of us are still unhappy. And many of us think, you know what, if I can just get it, whatever it is, it will satisfy me. But the reality is other people have those things, and they're not satisfied. Give it a month after the miracle. Give it a month after the temporary relief. And life has this opportunity to return back to the sad state we were originally in. It points us to this reality. We need something more than a miracle. We need something more than money. We need something more than a physical healing. We need something more than a social cure. We need restoration to God. And so we need to hear what Peter said to this man. I may not always have the ability to heal you, but what I do have, salvation in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, peace and joy and intimacy and friendship with God, that I give to you. And so whatever you're going through today, Whatever you're walking through today, the richest and the most wonderful blessing, listen to me, is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He can change your life today. He changed my life at 17 years old. I believe with all of my heart, had I not pressed into Jesus, had he not saved my soul at 17, listen to me, had he not changed me, listen, my finances would look different. My marriage would look different. The way I parent my children would look different. The way I live in my neighborhood would look different. But Jesus, because he has saved me, has given me the potential for every area of my life to be changed. He gives you the same potential today as well if you would come to him and be reconciled to God. Our greatest need is hardly ever physical. It's always spiritual. And today Jesus offers you forgiveness for your soul. He offers you peace. He offers his presence today. There's one last reality that this miracle points towards today. It's this fourth reality that God can change other people's lives through us. Now, don't dip out here. I I just have just another couple minutes remaining, but this is important for us because it brings us back to the reason for this entire series. Verse 10 ends with the people in wonder. It ends with people in amazement at the miracle that had just taken place by Peter and John. Now think about this just for a moment. You would think after two men do such a great deed, you would think they would be rewarded or honored for it, wouldn't you? You think they'd get a prize. You, you think they would, would have some sort of recognition. Maybe the local news shows up and they're like, man, these are local heroes. But that's not the case. Unfortunately, that's never the case in the book of Acts because when miracles are performed, usually the miracle worker gets in trouble. So look at what happens to Peter and John just a couple verses later in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, and they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. That's not your typical hero story, is it? Typically, typically, heroes get awards and heroes get recognitions and heroes lie in state in Washington, D.C. when they die. But in the early church, being a hero means you suffer. 
in order to alleviate this man's suffering, the apostles had to suffer themselves. You know, that's the same thing that happened to Jesus. When, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says from this point on, they determined to kill him. One pastor said by taking Lazarus out of the grave, Jesus put himself in. When Jesus heals this woman who has a blood issue in the gospel, she comes up to him and she touches his clothes. And the scripture there tells us, the Bible says, and the power went out from him. The Bible describes what's happening here. Whether it be the miracle of Lazarus, Lazarus, whether it be the miracle of, uh, of this man, uh, of Jesus healing this woman with blood and, and his power going out. The Bible describes this act as a substitutionary act. One voluntarily suffers so that another person lives. That's the record of Jesus' life. Jesus gives all of his life so that we can be saved. Listen, here's the reality. This guy in Acts chapter 3 gets to walk. Peter and John get to go to jail. We started this series with the mission of God at the forefront. It's what the entire book of Acts presents to us. Let me continue that theme here as we close. Healing for the world will come as life and power and money and opportunity go out from us. We're supposed to pour out our things. We're supposed to pour out our money. We're supposed to pour out our sacrifice so that other people can be healed. I've said this before. I'd like to say it again this morning. The healing of the world comes through the sacrificial death of the church. Maybe today it's a sacrifice of forgiveness that you need to make for someone. Maybe it's a sacrifice of your time or your money or your voice. You know, sometimes the church gets this label of being anti-progressive. We're labeled sometimes as being morally regressive. We're labeled as being antagonist to progress. You know what I hope? I hope our city sees our church, and not just our church, but every church in this city. I hope our city looks on the church in Los Angeles, and what I hope this city sees, and what we're known for is that we bring healing to our city. We preach the gospel. We stand for truth. But we do all of those things in the midst of pouring out love and healing. Do you know the church in every city, the church in every city should be known as a place where healing can be found in the places where the community is broken. You need counseling? We can help. You need groceries? We can help. You need parenting wisdom? We've got you. You need community and friendship? We're there for you. You have an addiction? We can help. You have questions about faith? We want to be there for you. Do you need a safe place? We can help. You know, there's not one church that can provide all of those things, but all of us should be providing at least one of those things. And it's my prayer, my hope, that our city sees the church, our church specifically, 
as a place that preaches the gospel and stands on truth. What a wishy-washy group of people we would be if we didn't stand on something. We preach the gospel, stand on truth, but we do so in pouring out healing and love to our city. Now let me close with this and we're done. Peter's message in this miracle is the same to those who are watching it 2,000 years ago as it is to us today. And the message is this, God wants to save your soul. He wants to change your life today when you repent of your sins. Will you turn your life to Jesus today? Have you come home to God today? Have you said the same thing about your sin that God says about it, that it separated you from him? And there's nothing like this man who's physically handicapped. There's nothing you can do spiritually to solve the problem of your sin between you and God. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you come home today? Come to the cross. Be forgiven of your sins. Find peace and joy and satisfaction for your soul. If you've never given your life to Jesus today, may I just ask you wherever you are, if you're watching online on Facebook, there's a couple staff members that would love to help you walk through what it means to trust your life to Jesus. You can send us an email to prayer at storycitychurch.com. One of our staff members will receive it and follow up with you this week to help you begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you just need to, wherever you are today, right there in your living room, get down on your knees, as Joni Erickson Tata said. One day she'll stand up on her resurrected legs and fall to her glorified knees and praise God. And maybe you need to do that today and ask him for forgiveness and ask him to save you and to come in your life today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the record of Scripture. thank you for the miracles that we see in the New Testament but Jesus thank you for the miracle of your life that was broken on the cross the blood that was shed that makes it possible for the ultimate miracle the reconciliation of our souls the hope of our world so God may you save people today who are watching and listening Those of us who do know you, may we come back to that moment of salvation, Lord. And recognizing it's the hope for today, it's the hope for tomorrow, and we look forward to a future day when you will eventually right all wrongs, knowing that even today you can change our life. In Jesus' name, amen.